and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. I'm very excited about today's guest. It's Margot Timmons from Cowboy Junkies, who are set to release their latest album, All The Reckoning, on Friday. It's a fantastic album. Margot tells me why they decided to record two versions of the title track, both of which are great and both of which you'll hear during the show. It's also the 30th anniversary of the album that put them on the map, The Trinity Sessions. She talks about that. She talks about what Lou Reed thought about their version of Sweet Jane. And she also shares a great Lou Reed story. It's also the 20th anniversary of an album that I love, Miles From Our Home. Margo talks about how that album kind of closed one chapter of their career and began another one. Margo was great. Here's my conversation. Helping me relive my youth today is Margo Timmons from Cowboy Junkies. Margo, thank you so much for joining us. No, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we look back, I just want to look ahead, actually. Um, your latest album, All That Reckoning, comes out July 13th. And I want to thank Liz, your uh, your PR rep, for giving me an advanced copy. I absolutely love it. Um, what was oh, great. Yeah. And the title tr- tracks was kind of interesting. You kind of um, had two versions of the title track bookending the album what was kind of like the thought process of that well you know it's interesting when you do a song um how you do it one way and you like it and that's sort of well that's okay and then you sort of come up with an idea of you know let's try this with the song and and that seems to work too so um and 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 so then you you sort of left with two same words same melody but just two different approaches. And, and in those two approaches, um, there's, there's just two different methods, uh, not um, methods, uh, two different um, uh, meanings. You know, it, 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 it's saying something different, even though it's exact same words and same melodies. So uh, with, with all that reckoning, with the album itself, when you're listening to it, sometimes it's very mi- micro, you know, just sort of talking about family and closeness, and sometimes it's, it's more macro and, and more global. And 
um, the songs can be both, you know, you, the way it just depends on how you're listening to it. Uh, and I found that with a lot of the songs. So, and all that reckoning is the same. To me, it could just be about doing all that reckoning for yourself, you know, all the inner thinking and inner thoughts and changes you make in your life to sort of try to fix it or <laughs> make it better. Um, and then there's the, the global, you know, the, the, all that reckoning that's going on right now, I hope it's going on, where we're trying to sort of figure out who we are as a nation and, and as, a, as a world and, and how we relate to each other and, and what we need to do to save our planet, to, to, you know, to trade and all this stuff that we're trying to figure out. Um, should have been figured out a long time ago. That the, the, the softer version is more of a, an inner inner way of looking at things, and the, uh, the, the more aggressive one is, is, to me, more of a global, more of a sort of a, it's a little bit more, you know, angry. 
and, uh, and I think it's more anger at the situation we find ourselves in in this time. for these like really tense times um yeah. i i never thought that your country and our country would you know have this fractured relationship right now <laughs> i know isn't that crazy yeah really I mean, it's really it's really scary if, if if you if if things can go so bad that canada and the u.s are are mad at each other <laughs> oh my god what's gonna happen to the rest of the world yeah. uh you know it's really Yeah, it, it really is, and um, I, I would I have a passport, so I think I'm gonna just stay with you guys, uh, your country. I mean, you know, because it's it's getting pretty crazy down here. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I mean, I I hope 
I, you know, I, I think that in order for major change to happen, you have to sometimes hit that rock bottom. Agreed. And for people to really realize, you know, we've got to do something. Because we've become, you know, human nature is to when we're complacent, we're complacent and, and everything's okay. And, yeah, okay, my neighbor might not be as lucky as me, but I'm okay, you know. Um, I think sometimes we need to be shaken out of that, our our are very comfy positions that we live in, and we're very lucky that we have them, and I don't want to give them up. I, you know, I like my comfy life. Right, yeah. I do think, you know, we have to realize that not everybody is so lucky, certainly even in our own countries. And then globally, you know, come on. You know, there's so much of the world that's suffering. It's beyond, and we don't really want to care or look. So maybe this is a... You know, I'm always an optimist, so I'm, I'm hoping that this is the bottom that sort of shakes us out of complacency. <laughs> yeah, agreed. If, if this is not the bottom, I'm really scared to what the bottom actually could yeah, be. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I have a son. I want him to have a decent life. <laughs> yeah, agreed. You know, I have a son and a daughter, and you know, I, I want them to have yeah. a better life than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I, the cover of All the Record, and like, all your covers or albums are are like beautiful, and now just with this digital age, you really can't appreciate you know album covers. But but this one has like, I guess it's a small child in the water. It seems like it's a subway station, and it could be because I you know I live in Connecticut, but I work in New York. Every subway every subway station in New York City after a storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know where that image comes from, but that's exactly what I think of too. After uh, you know, I've, I, I never have seen um, those subway stations that are, are under flooding, but um, but certainly I have through the news and all that. So yeah, that's what I thought of too when I saw that that image of some kid walking around the subway station right. <laughs> in the flood. Uh, I hope I hope it's not that. I hope it's not true. I hope it's all digitized and put together. Um, I don't think it would have been a healthy school for a child. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I like, I like them too. I, I, they're very, uh, the, the images um, are really thought-provoking. You know, it brings out a lot of, uh, again, I think like the album, uh, just even the songs, I think there's many ways to sort of look at the images or look at the songs and, and, um, and, see a different, you know, I think if you listen to it one day, you might apply it to yourself and, and then, oh, it's all about me, and then the next day it's all about something else. Uh, and I think the images are that way, too. You sort of, at one point, is that child, you know, the child looks okay and, and is just strolling along, and then sometimes you go, oh, yeah, but where is he? What is he, you know, how is he, why did he get there? Right, and why is he alone? <laughs> yeah, why is he alone? You get this feeling, oh, I should rescue this child. Right. And, you know, in this you know, it's like, uh, and then, you know, I think there's an image of that, that old man walking up the stairs into the light. And again, you don't know if he's, you know, not well or is he okay or, you know, it's that. And again, going back to our times, this is the uncertainty that we live in. And I think that the images depict that. Right. Um, that feeling that I think we all have, you know, we're still sitting on our porches and enjoying the summer day, but behind us is, and all around us is turmoil, and um, that's uncertainty, and it's it's not healthy. Right. Not yeah. So let's let's go a little a few years ago. Um, how did your brother Michael kind of recruit you to join the band? 
few years. I was like, we're talking like decades. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, when I was a kid in school, I uh, I always got a good part in the school play, you know, the school musical, because I could sing. And um, so it was sort of known I could sing. And, and certainly listening to our records, you know, Neil Young and Larry Cohen and all that, I used to always do all the backup vocals while while we were listening to records. And, and um, so, you know, Mike always sort of knew I could sing. And then, uh, so when he started, you know, the band sort of started coming together. It wasn't a band yet. The boys were just sort of jamming in the garage. But Mike noticed that the, you know, there was something here with this setup with, with uh, Al and Pete. And at that point, my brother John was jamming with them. So he was in the original setup. And he thought, you know, we, we, I could maybe turn this into something. And in his head, what he was hearing was a, a very nice voice, a melodic voice against this sort of sound of whatever sounds they were making in the garage. And um, so he asked me if I would sing. And, and my response was, you know, you're kidding. Like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I, I never thought of myself as... as, as a musician, or I mean, I love music. I always went to see bands, but you know, I'm, I'm a fan, and that was that. Um, and I, but I also, Mike and I have always been really close. We're close in age, and so we shared our lives together. And and I knew for him to ask me, he felt that I could do this. You know, he wouldn't just ask me because I happened to be standing on the porch. Um, so I said I would sing. But I'd only sing in front of him. I wouldn't sing in front of the others. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of days. And then he said, you know, Mark, I think, you know, you're, you're, this is great. This is working. And I said, really? You know, and, and he said, yeah, no, this is exactly what I'm looking for. You know, let's bring the other guys in. And so I said, okay. Um, and that's how it started. It, it, it was, um, and, you know, it took me... Uh, you know, we put out White Sulfur Now, our first album, and toured it around, and, uh, and, and um, you know, we're starting to work on, on tr thinking of the second one, and I still wasn't sure whether I was, uh, you know, whether I should do this or whether I was okay to do this, or, you know, I just, I had no sense of myself in this music world. Um, being fronting a band, it just wasn't the image of who I thought I was or could be. Right. Um, it was. It was very strange. But then, you know, when I did decide, and it was before Trinity session, you know, it's funny. I was walking on a beach with my uncle, and uh, we were talking about it, and he said, "Look, Mark, you're not on the fence. So, you know, get off the fence, go one way or the other, mm -hmm. and, and commit, or, or go find something else to do." And and so I. I didn't want to leave the band. I liked what I was doing, so I jumped off the fence. And then we wrote Trinity Session, and you know, I started to write. There's a couple of songs on that album that are, you know, um, I co-wrote with Mike, and and got more involved in it as opposed to just being a little sister, uh, you know, tagging along. I said about, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to do this. So I did, and thank God I did because I really like it. <laughs> It's the right choice. Right, yeah, it's definitely the right choice. We, we we all love it too. So, now, the first couple of shows you performed kind of with like your back to the audience, correct? Yeah, I mean, in those early days, I mean, first of all, there wasn't really an audience because you know <laughs> we were just a, a a band on on the Queen Street 
Street, which is a music street in Toronto. So we were just yet another. There were tons of bands in the 80s, um, and there were tons of clubs you could play, which it was a really healthy music scene. Right. And um, so, yeah, you know, there really wasn't anybody there, but it was a great time for me to learn my, you know, my craft or whatever you call it, uh, my, my job, um, in that I didn't, you know, I, we could do a lot of shows. My my brother was great, and he knew not to sort of tell me to do this and do that or stand, you know, face the audience or talk to them or whatever. He just allowed me to grow by myself and figure it out alone um, in my own time and in my own way. And um, so, yeah, in those days I turned around, and then, uh, you know, and when I did turn around to face the audience, um, yeah, even now to this day, I don't leave the microphone stand. I don't walk around with it. I don't take it off the stage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when I, do, I feel really awkward. When, you know, I've tried it in sound check, and I'm like, this just feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just yeah, and I'm not. It's not that I'm not nowadays. It's 30 years. I, I mean, of course, I'm so comfortable on stage, and I'm so relaxed, and I'm so happy. It's where I'm most content. And, and feel most fulfilled when I'm singing. Um, and I did in those days, too, when I was singing. It was just when I stopped singing and I opened my eyes and, you know, there was people in the audience, that's when I sort of went, oh, this is weird. Um, you know, if they would stop looking at me, it would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it's just that I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a, in my personality, I'm not a big demonstrative person. And so... You know, I, 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 I have a demonstrative job, that's for sure, right. but I, it's not really my nature. And um, so when I'm behind that microphone stand, there's some protection, and, you know, I've got my table with my flowers, and it's kind of like my little domain here. I'm safe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, I, I, and I've built that out of, out of necessity. I mean, nowadays, if, if that wasn't there... Of course, I could do a show, but it, it, I wouldn't be as comfortable, but I could do it. In the old days, I, I needed all that to, you know, to, and the flowers were a part of, I was, flowers have always been a big part of my life. And um, in the early days when I was nervous, um, and really nervous, I, uh, if I got nervous and didn't want to look at the audience, I'd look at the flowers and they sort of was a, it was a focus for me to, you know, forget about people looking and people watching and, and you know, sing to the flowers sort of thing. <laughs> um, and uh, and now, you know, occasionally I still use them. Like when I I find myself sort of lost in a song, and I mean lost meaning not lost in it, but lost out of it. I, I'm not sure where I am. Right. Um, I'll, you know, like sort of, okay. Or, or even if my mind begins to spin and I'm thinking about the groceries, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's a, it's a focus place, and uh, and um, yeah, but I don't need them like I did in those days. That's for sure. Right now, know. now it's more of a set piece than anything else, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I say, occasionally there are times that I I still have to go back because it's a bad show and I'm not feeling comfortable, you know, and I'm I'm off. I'm feeling off. Um, and, and and wish I wasn't on stage that night. And you do have those nights occasionally where you wish, okay, this is not a good night for right. me to be up here. Um, but whatever, you know, they're, they're far, few and far between nowadays. Yeah. 
So, like, now, uh, like recently on, like, Facebook now, they have, like, the users are kind of posting, like, album covers of, like, artists and, like, you know, albums that have made an impact in their life. They do, like, one each day for, like, ten days. So I recently completed mine, and one of them was the Trinity Sessions. And I can't believe now it's 30 years. It felt just, like, 20 years ago last week. <laughs> Uh, how um, how much fun was recording that album, you know, in the church with the one microphone? Well, I mean, it was, you know, it, it, it started off really fun because it was just an experiment. You know, we, we didn't really, we were hoping to catch an album, get an album, but we if, we, if it didn't happen that day, it wasn't all that important. You know, we would have tried something else. So there was no great pressure, which was kind of fun and it was just us recording a lot of those guys i had just met um yarrow the accordion player i'd never met before um i met jeff and i met kim uh steve who played uh met him too but you know we really didn't know each other so right. hanging out with a lot of these guys was was great fun but then as time went on we weren't getting the sound we kept moving this the, this calorie ambisonic microphone, blah, 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 the super microphone, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> around the room, and right. it was too ambient, and we were throwing, you know, uh, putting a tent over uh, pee and, you know, hiding me under blankets. It was like just sort of moving the base here and there. So it became very tedious. It became a really tedious day. Right. And, and 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 we would move everything, and then we'd try again, and no, and then we'd move everything and try again. And and then um, we were there for about maybe eight hours, eight, nine hours, and uh, maybe the last three hours, we got the sound. Like, we, okay, this works, you know, everything's balanced. Because the only way to mix it, I don't know if you know this, but the only way to mix, because it was to two-track, was... There was no mixing. It was just mixing by moving musicians closer or further away from okay. the microphone. So that's how what we were doing all day was just moving players around and and draping things over the amps and whatever. We, we just, that's where we got mixing. And once we found the sound, the balance, we started to play. And I don't know whether it was because we'd been there all day just dying to play a song and, and um, you know play some music. But we all started playing, and it was, we were all in the zone. I mean, we were just in the zone. And, uh, and you know, any musician knows what that's like, and, and often it happens in rehearsals, and you go, okay, well, you know, wish the tape machine was rolling, because we'll never do it like that again. You know, you know when you really capture the song. And uh, that day we were just, we were just on. And um, Misguided Angel is the only track we did. Just plain man I need him 
and also obviously sweet jane um did you immediately get any feedback from lou reed about the uh, recording I mean, Malid is one of our idols, so I mean, grew up listening to you know, Velvet Underground and all of Malid's albums. I mean, that was, was the, definitely the music of my youth, for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, so when he commented on our uh, on the take and and, the, and and then wanted said he would endorse it, we were 
you know, blown away. Uh, you can get a lot of awards and all sorts of wonderful things can happen to you, but when a fellow musician like that, especially one that is somebody you've been a fan of forever, um, recognizes your work, that's that's better than any award, you know, because it's, it's from the people that you respect, you know, not from the industry, which is whatever, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah, that was fantastic. And then, you know, later on we got to meet him a couple of times at different either festivals. Or The first time we met him, we were both playing in Paris, and his people invited us over for dinner. So it was, oh, wow. It was, but yeah, it was it was really funny because we were, it was really late. It was after, I think it was after his show. And um, and it was late, late, and they took over a restaurant. And his people were all at one table, and, and all of ours were at another, and neither were, intermittent, you know, talking. Right. It was Lou Reed, right? They, of course, I, you know, we were, you know, it's Lou Reed. I'm not going to go up <laughs> and talk to Lou Reed. <laughs> and, uh, I was, and, you know, of course, the boys are going, Mara, you go, you go. And I'm not, right. I'm not going, I'm not going. And then um, his wife got up to go to the bathroom, and I, okay, this is my opportunity. So I got up and went to the bathroom. And, I, of course, I'm talking to her in, in there, and I said, look, you are all too scared to go and say, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, we're in the same room as we read. That's enough. But to talk to him was too much. And so she went back and, you know, told Lou, and he came over and, and after that, everything was fine. But it's that in first initial, you know, where you say, I love you. Yeah, right. You're my idol. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you do that first, and then you sort of, you know, find your groove again. Yeah. <laughs> and then you realize he's, he's just a regular person, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He was great. He was really, really nice. And, you know, we talked about the road and all the things that you talk to musicians about. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like, yeah, the album, you know, blew up, and you guys performed at all, like, you know, the shows or anything like that, MTV, whatnot. What were like some of your like your favorite shows to perform on? Well, in those days, we were we were on the road all the time. None of us had kids, so we were very, you know, free, and uh, we did a bazillion shows, and we did them all over the world. So I can't remember them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think for me. When you got on the iconic stages, I think you know, CBGB's was a big one, okay. even though it's a, it yeah. was a, a hole in the wall, and God knows it wasn't, you know, real. It was, but it was CBGB's, you know, and it had, so it, to me, it's those um, iconic places. The Fillmore in San Francisco, we got on before it burnt down, and, and now it's a new Fillmore. Um, to me, it's, it, it's those places that, again, your idols, the people that inspired you, the people that you listened to and got through all your heartache and misery of, you know, throughout your life. I mean, we're on those stages and, um, and not necessarily the big ones like the Carnegie halls and the, the yeah. Royal, you know, Royal Albert and all that. Those are great too. Cause again, you know, you're standing on the Royal Albert and all you can think about is Dylan. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> so, um, and everybody else who stood on that stage. So I think even now I, I, um, I love I, I love those old stages and 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 where there's history and and because that's when the moment that you realize you know you're standing there and you look at me you know I'm a CBGB's 
you know, how do I get here? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, and I had been to CBGBs to see tons of bands. My, you know, in the punk era, I was always in CBGBs, but I never in my entire life thought I'd be on the stage side of it. it you know, that that just was a, somebody had told me that oh, someday you'll be on that stage. Yeah, I thought they were insane. So those are the moments. And uh, Saturday Night Live was another one again because uh, you know in, in early Saturday Night Live days it was pre you know all the much music and all the videos and all that stuff so it was the place you, you know on Saturday night you could sometimes see your favorite band be yeah. live on TV and and that was amazing um, and I saw a lot of great acts on that so again being on Saturday Night Live was um, was just yeah, again one of those moments of you know how do we get here moments and um so yeah those, there's a lot of those first back then that were that were fantastic you know yeah, I I went to college up in Buffalo, so it was really you know close to Canada, and I was able to see you guys play in Buffalo. I think it was like the Connecticut Street Armory, like years ago. Mm. Yeah, so mm. I, that, the, one of the best things about going to school in Buffalo, besides the food, was getting the Canadian music because you, you know the the radio stations would ble- you know bleed down into Buffalo. So I was able to discover you. Well, I discovered you guys long long before that, but to get you and like the tragically hip and all those other like bands that they really wouldn't play down, you know, where I, I was living. Why, why do you think like some of the Canadian bands, like don't like you guys, you know, broke through, but like a band, like the hip who obviously, you know, are mm-hmm. huge, you know, and, you know, yeah. but not yeah. like where I am, you know, down like in New no. York or like other no. places. No, I mean, Blue Rodeo is another one. Yeah. I think, you know, they never, they don't ever make it the same size down there. I don't know. I think I, I think um, you know, certainly we're, we're, we can't compare to the hip of Blue Rodeo up here. I mean, they're huge up here. Um, down there, you know, we're probably a bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, and certainly Europe is the same for us. Um, but. I, I don't know. I, I, my only, I have thought about it before. I think what it is is that I think with the junkies, I think what we do is very unique. I don't think there's other bands that do what we do or have our sound. I think we have a very unique sound. So, you know, does it appeal to everybody that we're going to, you know, sell millions and millions of records? No. But it, it, it gives us our slot, you know, and, and so over the world we have our fans and which stayed with us because you know, we do what we do. I think with the hip, you know, there are a lot of other bands down in the States and, and in Europe that have that same kind of sound. Um, you know, same with Blue Rodeo, there's, there's a ton of them. So I, I think, you know, there was there was no, no, no space for them down in the States or, or in Europe, really, because there were other, well, Europe there wouldn't have been. But certainly in the States, there's a lot of that sound that, um, so that's about because you know that's the only reason because I know it's not from lack of trying. I know they they tried, right. to, um, you know, to, to tour down there and to push it and to break through, and and it just never happened. And, you know, I don't know. That's just fine. yeah. You know, I don't understand the industry, and I don't pretend to understand it. But that's just my you know my my take on it. 
Right. I mean, it, it kind of benefited, like, you know, the hardcore fans down where I am because they would play in small venues as opposed to, like, Canada and Buffalo yeah. where it'd be, like, big arenas. So it was good to see them yeah. in, like, a more intimate setting. Yeah. You know? <laughs> No, I mean, I think a lot of the hip fans did just that. You know, they would, if, if, if the hip were uh, on tour in the States, they'd go see them in the States because you got to see them in a small place, you know. So, you know, it would be great. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's, and I think that's the way the hip should have been heard. I mean, they were uh, an awesome rock band in a club. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, they were great in a big arena, but when you saw them in a club, that's when they just took off. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Now, I mentioned, like, it was, you know, 30-year anniversary of the Trinity Sessions. Another Milestone album that's, like, one of my favorites is 20th anniversary of Miles from Our Home. Um, mm. Yeah, just talk a little bit about just recording that and just, like, how, you know, meaningful that album is for you guys. That's the lost album to me. It's, okay. I, I think that Miles from Our Home is a great album and uh, um, a different kind of album for right. us. And, and it, it, a lot of people, it was recorded during the time when 
um, the major labels were gobbling each other up and crushing each other and trying to stay alive and it was sort of, you know, last man standing war zone. Um, and we were a small band uh, on, on Geffen that was stuck in the middle of all that, you know, and, and you know, it, it, that, that album was given a huge budget and, uh, and then after, once it was recorded, there really wasn't a record label. Right. <laughs> uh, so it, it sort of got lost, you know, and nobody cared. I think everybody was more worried about hanging on to their jobs and putting out records. Right. Um, but the recording of it was great and a lot of fun because we had this huge budget, and it was the first time we'd ever had a huge budget, and we kind of knew it might be the last time we had a huge budget. <laughs> <laughs> so let's use it. Um, so we wanted to fulfill all our rock and roll dreams, and, of course, one of them was to record at Abbey Road, which... Um, had no real, there was no reason, absolutely no reason to go to Abbey Road, except we wanted to go to Abbey Road, and um, so we did, and it was great. We, we, we were, they have an apartment building next door to it, uh, uh, so it's sort of, um, not an apartment building, a house, and uh, so we stayed in the house next door, and uh, every day we go over to the recording studio and do, you know, work on stuff. And we had this big orchestra come in. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was totally, I mean, you know, again, it was just, it was just rock and roll fantasy from beginning to end. And the other thing too was we, you know, funny, I never thought of this, but we recorded that album, or, uh, uh, sorry, we wrote that album in a funny place called Workworth in Ontario. And which is outside of Toronto, and it's a you know, nothing town. It's about a one grocery store, right. barely a grocery store. They sell white bread, and that's it. You know, maybe <laughs> peanut butter, and that's it. And um, and and we rented uh, this broken down, really dilapidated uh, house out in out in the wilderness um, on this, on this mill, this old mill and water and. And it was, it was great, you know, it's just great. I mean, it, it was, like I say, it was really dilapidated. Um, but it was just perfect setting. And uh, we spent, I don't know how many months, coming and going to there and, and living there and, and then going back home and all that. But it was a place where um, Mike and I discovered birds and got into bird watching. <laughs> and I'm still a big birder, as is he, where, you know, whenever I see a bird, you know, I... I, I my first text was to Mike, I saw a pileated woodpecker. You know, <laughs> we're very excited. So we turned into these nerdy bird people. And uh, it was a really great experience. And so it started at Workworth and ended at Abbey Road. And, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a, 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 I think to me, a real, um, and, you know, it was an end of an era, that album. It was, again, that was our last record label. And after that, we decided we, we just, I, I, you know, I, I, both Mike and I came to the same decision separately that we couldn't continue, or at least I couldn't continue playing the record label game. And I remember sitting on an airplane with him, and I was going to tell him, you know, we have to get off the labels or I got to go because I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't play with them. Right. And, uh, and I was scared because I didn't want to give him an ultimatum. It wasn't, you know, 
I wasn't storming off, but I was just sort of more, just, I, I'm dying here. I don't like this game. And um, so I, we were sitting on an airplane. And I thought, okay, well, this is an opportunity. And I told him, and he said, well, how do you say that? I've been thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm all of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and no, no, he had been thinking about it, but he had a plan of how we could do this and we could get back to doing Leighton ourselves. And, you know, he had a whole thing laid out. And I was like, oh, thank you, thank you, because um, I didn't want to quit. I just didn't want to. I just couldn't, you know, kiss another industry person and, you know, have dinner and have the whole goal going on. Uh, it just The game, it was a real game, and I didn't like the game. Right. And so, it, obviously, if you would have stayed on any label, you guys probably wouldn't have been able to do the whole Nomad series, right? No, totally. I mean, even all that, you know, this this whole, when you're with a label, all the constantly being told that you can't do this or you can't do that. I mean, the Nomad series would never have been allowed. It would never have allowed something, a project like that. And we were always coming up with ideas and they were, oh, no, you can't do this. You know, oh, that sounds too country and you're not a country band and they're going to associate you with country. Oh, for God's sake, you know, right. it's just a music, you know. Uh, and with me, it was, you know, they were always trying to push me into um, down the sort of glamour track, okay. you know, um, to sell my whatever. And I, I you know, there's, there's no way. I mean, the bit that I did do was kill, you know, killed me. <laughs> um, so, you know, when what they wanted me to do was, you know, outrageous. And uh, so there was always this sort of... Uh, you know, kind of uh, maybe a fight to keep, you know, our, our integrity or who we, it wasn't even integrity. It was just, I couldn't do it. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, it's not that honorable. <laughs> There's no way. I'm, I'm not that kind of, you know, I don't, I don't, was even to, they didn't like my flowy skirts. You know, they wanted me to have short, you know, oh, you have nice legs. You should show your legs. Mm. The fact that you were even discussing my legs made me sick. Right. You know, so. I was, it, 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 after so many years of it, um, I was tired of that. And also, as I said, the, at that time, uh, the record labels were freaking out. I mean, they were, they were dying and, yeah. and losing. And um, they didn't know what to do with this whole Internet stuff that was coming and downloading. And um, so they were freaking out. And, and I didn't really want to be a part of the dying industry you know yeah. that, that that's industry and then there's music and we always separated the two we always did from the beginning um so you didn't we always knew you didn't need one without you know you could have one without the other you, all, you could always put out music with a label you know you, you yeah. don't get as much money but right <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm sorry yeah but you yeah but you get your you know creator freedom which probably more important than yeah. his money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And your sanity and, and uh, you know, um, you know, I don't, I'm not a big one to be, I'm not a big uh, corporate climb the ladder, go for it kind of person. Right. And um, the little bit that I was in, 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 and working with that kind of personality, the kind of win or lose personality, um, was was very hard. I didn't like it, and it it didn't make me feel good about myself. You know, 
so so it was killing it was killing what I was doing and um so you know I knew I couldn't continue on it wasn't it wasn't gonna happen so thank God so that was the end of that and that you know so Miles was the kind of you know our, our farewell to that and, and I'm glad we did it you know I can't I'm not gonna put it all down it was pretty amazing we even got a label and um and and had all the perks that labels give you um we wouldn't have our career if it wasn't for you know joining RCA in those in those days um we wouldn't have our audience and that's the one thing that a record label can do is give you that wider audience because they've got the money to throw at things and um so you know I, I owe them a great deal and I I'm grateful for that but we got out at the right time right yeah was it also hard for those like uh like record labels to actually kind of like label your sound yeah. yeah, they were constantly trying to. Well, what is this? And how? What bin do we put it in? And uh, you know, and I, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I never. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they were. They struggled a lot, and and one of you know our contracts were really great contracts, um, which gave us, you know, complete artistic uh, um, control. Which and the, which made them crazy, um, and you know they were always looking for the single. You know? yeah. They were always looking for the single, and they were always looking for us to redo another. Because see, Jane, they wanted us to. Uh, they were always constantly throwing covers at us, right? Uh, to redo them, to you know get another sweet Jane out of us. And we, you know, we try to explain to them that it's not just any song, and they'd throw any song. You know, it'd be like <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, a, a carpenter song. Or something. Right. You know, just, well, I'm not really carpenter. I have to be a fan of the song. Yeah, of course. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to just cover any song. And but again, if you're and I, and I appreciate what they were trying to do. If you're trying to sell something, then you want to have the band cover a song that people want to hear, you know, an old hit, you know, um, and, and so that's, it makes sense if you're, if that's your, you know, you're, you're a salesman, but, but as musicians, you know, I never thought of myself as a salesman, I just made records. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, and, and we tried to do, we did appreciate what they were trying to do, and, and we wanted to sell records, it wasn't like we didn't, um, so we tried to do as much as we could to work with them, and we, we toured all the time. We did all the press they wanted, um, and uh, but we also had to put our foot down where things felt uncomfortable. And uh, you know, my 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 rule was that if I if they asked me to do something, and I thought that when I'm an old lady and I'm in the nursing home and I'm I'm, I'm thinking about my career. Right. If I if I think I'm going to cringe at you know that outfit or this video or why did I you know do this, then that would be okay. I'm not doing it. You know I don't want to cringe when I'm an old lady going. Why did I wear that mini skirt? You know you know I hated the mini skirt. You know or yeah. why did I let them dress me like that or you know um, so I. That was always my, if this makes me cringe now, it's going to make me cringe when I'm an old lady and I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, now being on your own label and having their freedom, you can do whatever the hell you want with your legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and then that's it. Like I can, it's, you know, and nobody's telling me how to present or, I mean, you know, they used to say <laughs> when I, when I started to talk to the audience, 
and I started telling stories and whatever once I became more comfortable on stage. And again, I'm not shy. I never was shy. I was right. just on stage. You know, it was a weird place to be. And I, uh, and when I started to engage the audience that way, they didn't like the, the label. Didn't like that because their image of me was to be mysterious. Okay. Which I'm not mysterious. I don't want to be mysterious. I'm not mysterious. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I, mean, I might have a mysterious side. I hope right. we all do. Yeah. But I, I felt as a person on stage, my role was to be gracious and to. It, it was uncomfortable for me to sort of feel that not to talk and not to thank people or, you know, it, that, that's just rude. Um, so once I became comfortable enough to engage, I engaged, and they did not like that. And then when I started going out after shows to meet people, oh, my God, that freaked them out. Right. Oh, they didn't like that at all. That was just too engaging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just totally blowing my mojo or something like because I was supposed to be this dark, moody, mysterious, sad person singing her sad song. Sorry, wrong person. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, Margo, this this was great. Thank you so much. Um, all all that reckoning comes out July thirteenth. Like I said, it's it's fantastic. Uh, see Cowboy Junkies on tour. It's a great show. I'm going to see you guys in July at City Winery. And Margo, thank you so much again. Thank you. And a special thanks to Margo for joining us today. Go check out All That Reckoning. It comes out this Friday, July 13th. It's fabulous. Check out their website, cowboyjunkies.com. On Twitter, they're at CJ Music. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at the first no 19 Be sure to like the page We're Living My Youth on Facebook. Go subscribe to the show on iTunes. Please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Go to SoundCloud. Go to Podbean. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon.